why don't we come to a time of, of reading from Scripture. Jonah chapter 3 is what we're going to be reading from today. So if you've got your Bible, if you want to get it out, get your phone out, get your iPad out, uh, any other creative way you know how to get your, your Scriptures open, please do. Uh, and make sure that I'm reading in the right spaces and I'm preaching from the right spaces. So let's do that. Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim, it, uh, proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal nor herd nor flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that, it's, that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Amazing chapter. Amazing. There was a young man named John. And he received a parrot as a gift. Now the parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every, every word out of the bird's mouth was rude and obnoxious and had, was laced with profanity. Now John tried and tried to change this bird's attitude by consistently saying only really polite things to the, word, uh, to the bird. It's playing soft music, making it Nice. Anything he could think of to make this bird's vocabulary better. Finally, John was so fed up that he yelled at the parrot. The parrot just yelled back. John shook the parrot and the parrot got even angrier and even ruder. John, in desperation, just threw up his hands. He grabbed the bird and put the bird in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed and then suddenly... There was total silence. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd gone too far and maybe hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out and into John's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behaviour. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude and he was about to ask the parrot what made such a dramatic change in his behaviour and the bird continued to say, May I ask what the turkey did? 
I'm sure you're laughing at home. I can't hear anything much in here. But as we look into Jonah chapter 3 today, we may ask a similar thing of Nineveh. What prompted such a dramatic change in the life of the Ninevites? And why would God show compassion on a nation that was so blatantly disobedient and needing uh, and threatening even his chosen nation? Indeed, this is, a, this is the capital city of Assyria, the nation that was to take them into exile. And some commentators think it's only like 40 years or so later. So surely in our human economy, we would suggest that it would have been better for God just to just to get rid of them, to do away with the Ninevites and give the Israelites a better chance for future survival? Yet what we begin to realize through this chapter in Jonah, however, is that salvation is God's alone. Salvation comes from God. There's no quick fix, no way for us to work out our own salvation or the salvation of your next door neighbor or the homeless guy sleeping at the train station or the grumpy lady who never says hi to you even when you smile politely at her. Salvation alone comes from God. And it flows on from what Jordan shared with us last week, that God's compassion is to be shared with all people, even the people who we think make a mess of the world, even the people who look like sworn enemies to us, even those we dislike or even despise. God's compassion is enough for them even. Jordan spoke of being a vessel of compassion last week. And this week, I want to I turn it and continue on that, that sort of vein of, of being not just a, a vessel of compassion, but also a vessel of hope. Because we are called to be God's mouthpiece for salvation through Him that brings hope for all people. You see, Jonah, he was asked to speak salvation to a people that he didn't care for who he didn't want to see saved. Yet the final decision was not his, it was God's. Jonah was to obediently be God's mouthpiece for the salvation of the Ninevites. Now God was to do the rest. So this morning, my hope is that we can see that through the story of a a flawed Jonah who ran the other way when God spoke, that God wants to use us, flawed, fallible humans, to be the mouthpiece for God's salvation plan. God wants to use us to be the mouthpiece of God's salvation plan. That salvation plan doesn't need us to succeed, yet uses us for God's greater glory. How awesome is that? Let me pray as we enter into this passage. Our God, we pray this morning that the words from Scripture will enter into us and help us to understand it, help us to um, Uh, to be able to digest it, that it may not just be words on a page, but it may be words that translate into who we are. So any words that are not of you, may they be gone today. Amen. So God wants to use us, flawed, fallible humans, to be the mouthpiece of God's salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many times where I've thought, God wants to use me, (laughs) really me. Now, I love hearing stories about someone who heads on a plane, yeah, and, and you might be this person, and, and prays as they go onto the plane that God will put the right person next to them and that they'll strike up this conversation about Jesus on their third, on their third sentence in the plane. 
And by the time the journey has ended, there's been four new Christians and they're all sitting in a row and they're ready to be baptized in the first puddle they come across when they go off the plane. That sort of thing. That sort of thing. <laughs> they're encouraging. Those stories are great. Yet they're also somewhat discouraging because this is what I used to do in the schoolyard at Newport or at the Newport local footy club. This is how the conversation would generally go. It says, hi, I'm Pete. Hi, Pete, I'm Dave. Hi, Dave, who do you work for? I run a business making computers. Oh, that's great. Tell me more, Dave. And after a while of conversation, the conversation finally turns and says, so Pete, tell me what you do. I'm a pastor at the local church. Oh, okay, right. Oh. And like that, the conversation dies. And I'm left holding a school bag or a footy watching the kids play. Am I alone in this? Does this happen to just me? I mean, I can tell you some amazing stories of of, uh, conversations I've had where people have come to church because of the help that Solari and I have given them or they want to explore faith. That's fine. But they're stories that are, are few and far between sometimes. More often than not, being a mouthpiece for God's salvation plan is set upon with a cold shoulder or even worse, a loss of relationship. And it can be discouraging, even to the extent that we read the book of Jonah with eyes that don't allow us to be part of this story at all. This is just Jonah's story and we can't engage with it. Maybe you've taken the challenge that I've set for you over the past two years of of being a blessing to your neighbourhood, yet your neighbour just isn't interested in knowing you back. Or worse, your neighbour sees you as a threat. Or maybe you shared with a workmate about how your faith helped you through a troubling time, and now they sort of steer very clear of you. They avoid you. Perhaps you stand at the school, uh, stand at school for, you take a stand as a student at school for your faith. And it's met with words that just cut you down. See, more often than not, being a mouthpiece for God's salvation plan is set upon with a cold shoulder, or even worse, some sort of loss of relationship. And it can be discouraging, even to the extent that we read in the book of Jonah with eyes that don't allow us to be part of this story. Because Jonah was a prophet. We're not all called to be prophets. We're not all evangelists. We're not all designed that way. If we were, we'd be in strife because where would the teachers or the pastors or the apostles be? When Ninevite turned from its ways, they need others to fill in the rest of the story for them. So does that allow us to read Jonah as some sort of storybook only applicable to some? Of course it doesn't. Because God's word speaks to the heart of those who are open to hear from him. See, and Jesus calls us to share the gospel, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to all creation. Find that in Mark 16, verse 15. This isn't something for a few to do. This isn't a mandate for all who call, that this is a mandate for all who call Jesus Lord and Savior. We are not exempt from it because maybe we're shy or we haven't got the gift of the gab. We are called to be obedient to God. And when God speaks, we must listen. So whether you're one of those who seem to bump into someone and they just seem to ask you, can I become a Christian? Or whether you're someone who hears the word evangelize and you break into a cold sweat, God's word is still for you. God's word today is that every Christian, not just some, not just the elite few, but every Christian can be a mouthpiece for God's salvation plan. How do we do that?
<coughs> Excuse me. Well, we can do that. Every Christian can be a mouthpiece for God's salvation plan by believing three truths about God's heart for all people. First one is that God continues to use us regardless of how often we run the other way. How do you think Jonah felt after his original ordeal with the big fish? I reckon he probably felt like he'd learned his lesson. I think he probably thought, well, if God asked me to do something like that again, go to Nineveh, perhaps next time I will listen. Yet I'm not convinced that Jonah thought that he'd be asked to go to Nineveh again. I reckon he thought maybe God would ask someone else. He'd failed, so he won't go again. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 is exactly the same as the verse 1 of chapter 1. It's God's assignment for Jonah, and it happens again. Jonah 3, verses 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it to, the, proclaim to it the message I give you. See, Jonah already knew the message he had been given. It was clear in chapter 1, the very first verses of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This is John chapter, uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh, this is the message. Preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Go and preach against Nineveh because of its wickedness. Now, if we go a bit further into the start of Jonah chapter 4, we're going to find out why, why Jonah really doesn't want to go to the Nineveh. It's the crux of why he doesn't want to go there. We heard that God showed mercy to the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3 at the end there. And in chapter 4 verse 1, it tells us that this was very displeasing to Jonah. You see, these Ninevites, they were Assyrians, and the Assyrians were a continual threat to Israel, and they would eventually conquer them. To Jonah, the Ninevites were the enemy. They were the ones who needed God's judgment. If ever there was a nation that was beyond the judgment of God in the eyes of Jonah anyway, it was Nineveh. So for him to follow God's call to preach repentance was not the highest thing on his priority list. I can imagine he would have wanted to keep running again back to Tarshish. Yet because God called, Jonah went, regardless of how he felt. <laughs> I remember fighting with God when he was calling me and Solari into ministry. I remember Solari had made the suggestion that we should consider doing some study, uh, quitting our jobs and going to study and uh, heading into some sort of ministry. And I immediately balked at it, thinking, well, God won't use me. I've not been a Christian long enough, or I don't know the Bible well enough, or... I was not like some of the other pastors that I met. They were extroverted. They had knowledge. And I'd compare myself to them and think, there's no way I could do that. So I sort of dodged and weaved, just like Melbourne last night didn't against the doggies, dodging and weaving through them, kicking goals left, right and centre. <laughs> but I was just trying to get away from God. Yet we kept getting calls to ask us to explore some study. We opened up an opportunity to explore ministry. And eventually, I had to concede God's call and follow even though it was well out of my comfort zone and out of my control, really. And you know, there may be times where God prompts you to do something for that neighbor who never says anything kind about anyone. And you think, no way, Lord. I'll do it for the other neighbor because they're really quite nice, but not, not that one. <laughs> but God keeps prompting. Or that God is calling you to consider overseas mission and, and you're too worried about money or what it might look like to, that, that's happening here that you might miss out on. But the call keeps coming because God will continue to use us regardless of how many times we run the other way. 
there won't be a time where opportunities to be God's mouthpiece will end. Because God's plan for salvation involves every one of us who calls Jesus Christ as Lord and involves each of us not running away from God when God's plan doesn't seem to match ours. We must heed God's call. And the second truth about God's heart for all people is that God's salvation plan is totally dependent upon God, not you. So we need to get our heart aligned with God's heart, don't we? So Jonah, he went to Nineveh to enact this plan that God had told him to do, to preach repentance to them. And we're told in verse 3 that Nineveh was, uh, what, that Nineveh was, was what Nineveh was like. Jonah, this is Jonah chapter 3 verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. That's a big city. A big city is a strong city, isn't it? Imagine heading into a stronghold of the Assyrian world, your enemy, and having to go in and preach the word of God to the whole city. The word of God that is really a a bit of a bummer word for them, isn't it? That you're going to be destroyed. On paper, this looks like a mammoth effort. How are you even going to do this? Well, it says in verse 4 that he went a day's walk in and then he preached the shortest message that anyone may have ever preached. He says this, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I'm sure there's some people that would love sermons that short every week. <laughs> so, so, so he travels this day, so only a third of the way into Nineveh, says eight words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, and that's his message. It seems like Jonah may have just done the bare minimum, doesn't it? <laughs> Perhaps he should have ordered an audience with the king. Perhaps he should have hung around a little bit and sort of said, hey, you need to get some people around. But he didn't even preach to the king. It seems like the king's heard about this later. So when the response of, the, of Nineveh comes and they start to repent and start wearing sackcloth and ashes and proclaim this fast, I'm not convinced that it was the impassioned speech of Jonah that did it. <laughs> I get the feeling that God was using Jonah. God was teaching Jonah something, but God was using Jonah. And God would then step in and bring that salvation for them. Because when the king heard about this eight-word sermon, he decreed that Everyone, everyone would fast, including the animals. And everyone, including the animals, would wear sackcloth. It must have been a bizarre walk that day back from, from, for Jonah, passing all the cattle and animals covered in cloth and ashes, um, not eating anything. <laughs> but as that nation cried out to God, as they covered themselves in a symbol of repentance, as, as sackcloth and ashes are, they turned from their evil ways. Now God's looking at them and says uh, this in verse 10. And this is really important, Jonah 3.10. It says this, When God saw what they did and how they turned their eyes, uh, turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring them destruction, the destruction that he had threatened. The NRSV version, which I read earlier, uh, said that God changed his mind about the calamity he had said he would bring upon him. God relented? God changed his mind? You know, I reckon this is why Jonah was unhappy. Listen to verse 2 of chapter 4. It says this, He prayed to the Lord. This is Jonah. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to, to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
See, Jonah reveals that he knew God was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah knew God would show compassion and mercy rather than destroy those who, in Jonah's eyes, needed destroying. See, see God's plan sometimes looked very different to our plan. God has a plan for all his people, even when we can't see it. And God's plan is always a plan of salvation because God is a God who saves. You know, this, this really should impact the way we see those who we love that are outside the kingdom of God. See, God wants them to know him. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, which he hated to share a message of hope, which they grabbed hold of. Are we ready to take the message of hope? This message that we have, we have it in our hands to the places where we may, where it may never be heard. I have a friend, his name is Nick. He didn't really fit into the contemporary church and so he opted to get involved in the God Squad, uh, the motorbike club. He was a, a big guy, he had shaved head, tattoos everywhere uh, and, and he sort of stood out in a crowd. <laughs> He was telling me that their mission as the God's God was to ride to places where they can seek to share Jesus with other motorcycle gangs that would come, in, come across. There was no place that they went that was out of reach for God's hand of salvation. They didn't limit God's salvation plan. Because God's salvation plan is God's salvation plan. It's not our salvation plan. The difference that God, the God's words showed, as opposed to Jonah, is that we should be quick to get on board with God's plan and be open to being used by God for His greater purpose. Now this leads us to the third truth about God's heart for all people. The third truth is, believe that no one is outside of the possibility of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, there are plenty of parallels can be drawn out of the Jonah story, not least the parallel of Jesus dying and being buried in the tomb and raising to bring life to all. See, God's great salvation plan was to for these Ninevites. These Ninevites were not a godly group of people. Their backs were well and truly turned from God, yet God chose to save them. Jesus' own death, his burial, and his ultimately his resurrection was not for the sake of of one nation. Rather, it was, the sake for, of, it was for the sake of all who had turned their backs on God. Now, Romans 3.23 tell us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. All people are in the same boat as the Ninevites. We all have not lived up to the standard of God. Yet through the selfless act on the cross... Through Jesus dying the death of a criminal for those who don't deserve it, you and me, we're brought to new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone believes in Jesus Christ, the new creation has come. This old life, this old self, this old clothing has, has gone. The new is here. We are a new creation through Christ. This is what God brought to Nineveh, a town that in the eyes of Jonah and, and probably the whole Israelite nation deserved every bit of punishment that God could hand out. Yet, God saw it differently and he chose grace. To those who are truly repentant to the Ninevites, he chose to save them through grace. 
did you know that Jesus is offering this same extended arm of grace to you today? An arm of grace that says, it doesn't matter what your past has been like. It it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from. Jesus is offering you grace. Jesus is offering you salvation. And this salvation is not something that you can achieve on, on your own. This is a salvation that can come only from God. What's your role in that? Well, to be the bird that was put in the freezer with the turkey (laughs) or the Ninevites after the threat of being overthrown. Our role is to repent. Our role is to repent. To, To turn back from the direction we are going. No need for for covering self with ashes and sackcloth. But we do need a heart that says, I want to turn from my old ways and become new in Christ Jesus. It doesn't end there though. Because as you become that new creation, you now become the the next mouthpiece for God's salvation plan for others as he calls you. Because we're all called to be God's mouthpiece for God's salvation plan. You know, maybe you've been traveling this journey of church life for a long time, yet never really experienced this salvation that God freely gives through Jesus Christ. Maybe today, turn your life over to God. Allow His salvation to transform you. Or perhaps you've been on this journey for quite some time and your faith has been a little stagnant. Or your faith has, has just seemed to just not be quite there anymore. Perhaps you're a prodigal. That you sort of flicked on your tally this morning and you thought, I'm going to have a listen. I haven't been to church for a while. Or I'm really just doing the, going through the motions. Today, allow his salvation to transform you. To bring you back to him. I'm going to pray. And perhaps you can pray with me for God's salvation to be on you all. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, this morning I want to pray for those who may not know you as their Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that for those that are sitting in their lounge rooms, whose hearts are beating fast, I pray, our Lord, that you will enter and be their salvation. That they will be open to you. That Jesus, you will be a part of their life. God, for those who have been on this journey for a long time, maybe have walked away for a while, God, I pray this morning that they will know that you are Lord that it's only through you that we become that new creation. May they find that again. Lord, give us hope. And in that hope, make us a mouthpiece for your salvation. We thank you, our Lord. Amen.